Hello, my name is Reverend Seth Nelson, and I am the pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Ronan, Montana. Join in weekly to hear the good news of God's love proclaimed over your life. You can follow us on Podbean and iTunes. God bless you this day. Our gospel lesson for this morning comes from Mark, the first chapter. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little bit further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in, the, in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Here ends our gospel lesson. Please be seated. grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The legacy of Captains Meriwether Lewis and Roger Clark looms large over Montana. I suppose it makes sense in many ways since their core of discovery spent roughly two-thirds of their journey to the Pacific and back in the confines of what is now the Treasure State. They were the first citizens of the United States of America to journey this far west into the vast territory that our nation had just purchased from, Fran uh, from France a few years prior. Though American Indians had been calling this land home for thousands of years before that. Their legacy is remembered differently by some. Our Bitterroot brothers and sisters, uh, Bitterroot Salish brothers and sisters, Remember how the tribe had to bail them out by giving them horses and food when they got to Lolo, for instance. But overall, their journey to find the Northwest Passage was significant in the history of the United States. Of course, they failed to find such a thing. As they made it to the pass above Lolo, they looked west and saw what we see still today we want to travel to Idaho or Washington. Hundreds of miles of rugged, mountainous terrain that is nothing like floating down a river when you cross it. Their hypothesis that had led them so far west at the request of President Jefferson himself was flawed from the start. The Missouri does not simply leave off on one side of the mountains and the Columbia flow the other direction a few miles away. No, they quickly discovered when they hit our little corner of the country that what they had planned for was completely wrong and their expectations were about as far afield as possible. Sure, they had charted this new territory well enough up to that point, but everything else about their journey from Montana westward had to be re-envisioned and reimagined on the spot. Their way forward from Lolo onward was completely unknown to them. 
Right, I suppose it would be Great Falls where they crossed the divide. It was completely unknown to them, and they had to figure it out anew as they went. In his book, Canoeing the Mountains, Todd Bolsinger argues that the place the church finds itself in today shares many similarities with Lewis and Clark's journey from the Bitterroot Valley westward. He wrote this book a few years ago, mind you, so it includes nothing about pandemics or any of the disruptions that we've faced this past year. He references the core of Discovery's journey through the mountains as an analogy to the cultural and spiritual place the church finds itself in these days. Lewis and Clark had all sorts of maps, plans and expectations and equipment that were all centered on the idea that when they reached the mountains, they would be able to canoe down to the coast with ease from there. Instead, they found that their expectations were no good, that they had to somehow canoe the mountains. The church at large in the United States has found itself in a similar position over the past few decades. Where once the church commanded a central role in people's lives, we now find ourselves on the sidelines, fighting to be prioritized over sporting events, hunting trips, or Sunday brunch. While Christian education was once seen as having similar, if not greater importance than secular public education, we now struggle to get time with our families here in church, while the school district is expected to provide more and more programming nearly every year. Whereas once the church was at the center of community life, providing fellowship opportunities for neighbors and friends every week, now we are relegated as a distraction from family functions or parties with friends that people would rather, uh, would prefer over listening to boring old preachers like me. Don't take it too seriously, guys. (laughs) It's just a joke. (laughs) In light of these changed realities, church leaders like me are often left canoeing the mountains, so to speak, canoeing the mountains of our communities, trying to trudge forward without direction, familiarity with the cultural landscape, or even a map of what works in ministry anymore. As Main Street businesses across the country have begun to struggle to remain viable in a world of franchised retailers and internet economies, and as agricultural goods have been devalued as they've been globalized more and more, so too has the church struggled to keep up in a world of individual self-interest, isolation, and overly stimulated distractions. There seems to be less room in many people's hearts and minds for communities and institutions like ours, which thrives on community connection and deep-seated, deep-seated faith that is reliant on soulful, prayerful reflection and contemplation. In a world that caters to everyone's self-interest and desires, 
an, an institution that beckons us to follow an ancient homeless rabbi who teaches us that we should deny ourselves, give away our possessions, and seek the well-being of others is a hard time maintaining relevance. Though we're trying. <laughs> like those early American explorers confronting hundreds of miles of jagged ridge lines of the Northern Rockies. Stopping and completely and giving up can seem like just as viable an option as continuing the journey forward into the unknown future that lies ahead of our Christian communities. But then we read the story of Jesus' calls of discipleship, and we are reminded that it has always been this way. In our gospel passage for this week from Mark, we hear about Jesus calling four of his 12 disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Simon and Andrew were brothers, and James or John were uh, brothers as well. So Jesus was calling two pairs of siblings to leave their fathers, leave their businesses, leave their families, and leave their homes in order to follow this strange rabbi from Nazareth. These four young men were all fishermen. And it seems like Simon and Andrew fished from the shore, and James, John, and Zebedee, their father, from a boat, all of them using nets. And Jesus first approached Simon and Andrew as he was passing along the sea, and said simply and somewhat mystically, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Quite the lengthy explanation of why they should drop everything and leave everyone they loved behind. I know my wife would look at me, it's pretty crazy, and very, she would look at me very cross-eyed if I up and left one day with my only explanation being, I'm going to fish for people. Right? <laughs> Yet that, is, <laughs> that is what Jesus said to them. And they responded by immediately leaving their nets and following him. The text does not tell us what Jesus said to James and John when he called them. But likewise, they left their father behind in his boat with his hired men. And they also followed this wanderer from Nazareth. Though they likely were poor and did not have a whole lot of assets to leave on the table by walking away and following Jesus, their calls to discipleship were invitations into the unknown future that God had prepared for them. All their routines, all their comforts, all their friends, all their families, all their communities, and everything else they held dear were disrupted by Jesus' call to follow him. As Mark tells it, they did not waver. They didn't hesitate or count the cost or consider other options, but simply walked out as an act of great faith in the man that they had just met. Like Lewis and Clark navigating the Northern Rockies nearly 1,800 years later, these four disciples were essentially canoeing the mountains. 
There was no roadmap for this sort of discipleship. Everything their families and communities had taught them was of no use when Jesus showed up and called upon them to follow. All their plans, their hopes, dreams, sense of duty, even their religious expectations were all upended in an instant. They were leaving it all behind by embarking on a journey through completely unknown territory full of uncertainty and mystery by following this man that they would come to call Messiah. Yet, still, they did so immediately and were rewarded for it. Completely unlike Lewis and Clark, on the other hand, when Simon, Andrew, James, and John followed this new teacher into the unknown, they had the Son of God as their guide. Almost everywhere they went from that point onward, and Jesus was in the lead. They had left behind house and home, yes, but they followed one who promised to be the temple the house of God that would be raised from the dead only three days after only three days in the grave. We know that they went hungry and thirsty when they turned away from the comforts of their family tables. But they now follow the one who said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. They left their earthly fathers to follow the anointed one. But this Messiah from the countryside would soon reunite them with their heavenly Father. Though they left everything to follow Jesus, embarking on a three-year journey of discipleship through great uncertainty and unknowns, these disciples were cared for, rewarded, and blessed with the assurance that their salvation, when they answered Christ's call, to follow him. May we too be blessed like Simon, Andrew, James, and John when we also answer Jesus' call to follow him. Much is expected of those who claim to be followers of Christ. We are called upon to deny ourselves, love our neighbors as much as ourselves, give to the poor we may not like, and call out the sins of the rich whom we may fear. And yet, all of this is part of the life of Christian discipleship. Just as bad, following our Savior can lead us to places of great uncertainty, where it can be easy to just give up in despair. Yet, when all we see as seemingly impassable mountains that lie before us. Promises, as Christians, we can remember that Jesus always goes before us. The Son of God is our guide. And as Christians, we can remember that he promises to provide for us in one way or another, and reassures us that he has gone before all his disciples to prepare a place for them in his Father's house. It is good to follow where Jesus leads. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, 
Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I hope that you've enjoyed this week's sermon podcast. If you would like to hear more, read my blog, or get a copy of my book called The Church Unknown, go to www.revsethnelson.com. If you feel called to support our ministry, I invite you to go to our church's website at flcronan.org and click on the Offerings tab. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace.